So one of the things that oh thank you good idea. One of the things that I hear a lot, and actually it makes me very happy to hear it, as I talk to students at retreats or here, or, you know, as people come and go. And I often hear people say something like, I don't know how I would do this, whatever the this is, without the practice. And sometimes this is an illness or a death or a change in their lives. The relationship has ended or work has gotten tricky or the economy or whatever. And what they're finding is that the practice and the teachings are enormously helpful under those difficult circumstances. And I thought of that a bit today because... I'm picking up a thread that began on Tuesday with both the Tuesday Sit and the Committed Students Group of looking one more time at the Four Noble Truths. And I always think of Heidi when I talk about the Four Noble Truths because Heidi told me once it made her very happy to hear yet another talk about the Four Noble Truths because it was sort of like home-baked bread. And um, so I hope that's still true, actually. Um, and so there are, you know, these four, this is the main teaching of the Buddha. And one of the things, reasons that it's really as wonderful as it is, is that it's a teaching that really is a lifetime's worth of practice. This, this is a teaching that you could take and you could start wherever you start in your 20s, your 30s, and continue to work with it until you're dead. Because it's that profound. It's, it's an, and, and some years ago, actually, I was sitting a solo retreat and um, decided that I would do a lot of sutta study during that retreat and made my way through a significant body of suttas. And when I got to the end of the retreat, I thought, oh, this is interesting. The Buddha had a shtick. You know, he's like every other teacher <laughs> I know. He has a shtick, and his shtick is the Four Noble Truths. And over and over again, one way or another, they would show up. So there is the truth that there is suffering. There is suffering. And there is the truth that the cause of suffering is craving. And there is the third truth, which is there can be an end to suffering. And the fourth is there's a way to find that end, which is the, the, what's known as the Noble Eightfold Path. So there are these four main areas about suffering and its cause and its end. And each one of them has three components. So one is to reflect on the truth. And one is to make it real in your own life, to find out, to really find it in your own life. And then once you have really found it in your own life, you really have come to see how it works in your existence, then the third is to know that you know the truth. So knowing that you know is kind of an interesting place. So this was all very well, and this morning I actually had a little extra time for practice, and 
um, did some study because I was giving a talk and had some sitting and did some dream work and some artwork, which I like to do as part of my practice. And I was feeling really quite juiced up, really enjoying the sense of having a practice, having a little extra time to do it. And here I was going to teach tonight. And then you know how it is. Sometimes the universe says, well, she's teaching about suffering and the causes of suffering and the ending of suffering. And knowing it, we are going to put her to the test. So I was cruising along through my day, had my practice time, had some telephone conferences, had some time to work on the talk, had some time to pay bills, packed up myself, was preparing to leave my house about 2.30 this afternoon, had an agenda of things that I was going to do in town before I came here. Went to turn the key in my car, and it was dead. Deader than a doornail. Now, yesterday, I had a small accident, which was entirely not my fault. I was stopped, and someone backed into me while I was stopped. So, so clearly, whatever it turned out that whatever had happened in that accident had affected the car worse than we thought. So all of a sudden, I was talking to the body shop, and I was trying to get a tow truck, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and the car rental, and I thought, oh... Uh So, there is suffering. So one of the things that's really important to realize is that suffering is not the same as pain. Suffering is not the same as pain. There is pain. I do not need to tell any of us that there is pain. There's the pain in your back and the pain in your knee and the pain in your heart and the loss of someone who's just died, and and there's things that are just painful in human existence. It's how it is to have a human body and a human life. But around that, there's often a lot of what, the word the Buddha uses is dukkha. And dukkha is like discontent. Or the word that I'm hanging with tonight is struggle. It's like the Buddha said, there is struggle. Because we struggle with our existence, right? There's a way in which um, it's just so hard to have things be the way that they are. Whatever it is that's happening in your life. And you know, in our culture, we don't think very much of suffering. You're not supposed to suffer, right? Right? I mean, do we honor it in any particular way? No. It's actually interesting because one of the the texts that I was reading pointed out that in the past there have been times when actually that sense of struggle and needing to work and sometimes having to carry something that was difficult was actually considered to be noble. It was something that was honorable to to struggle, but we kind of feel a little embarrassed if we're struggling. Somehow, you know, I think we've all seen too many commercials and people cruising through life with their hair blowing in the breeze, with their youthful bodies and healthy and all of that, and there's just no struggle involved. Or if there's struggle, you know, you go to the movies and there's struggle, and then it kind of gets fixed pretty quickly at the end. So we don't really honor it, 
And it's very difficult for us to take it in, to really feel it. So that was interesting for me this afternoon. It was like, oh my goodness, here I am. This is not fun, what I'm having to do my whole afternoon. You know, I wasn't even sure for a while that I was going to get here because I had no way to get here. So, um, you know, here was this painful thing. It was sad that my car was crunched. And, um, and I could see that there was a lot of struggle going on in me around it. And so part of the work of the practice is when this comes, is to allow ourselves to feel it. As one writer, my friend Philip Moffat, says in his book that's mostly about the Four Noble Truths, he says to feel the ouch, to actually let yourself feel the ouch, to take it in. And we do that a lot when we sit. You know, you sit down and, and often what comes up even in the mind and the heart is the ouch of your day, the, the sadness, the loss, the anger, whatever it is. And we're invited really to take it in and, and to feel it and to understand that it's like this. My friend Ajahn Sumedho, he, he always laughs. You know, he would say, a crunched up car and dealing with the tow company is like this. And then he would laugh. You know. So, but that's actually the instruction for taking it in. It's like this. This is what, this is what my aching back is like this. My upset stomach is like this. My broken heart is like this. This is what it's like to have that kind of pain. So that we actually familiarize ourselves with our pain and with our suffering and with the struggle around it. We really realize it. We make it real. We don't pretend it's not there. So that's the second part. And then the third part is knowing that you really do deeply understand your own struggle. And when we really pay attention, as time goes on, you come to understand there's certain places every one of us has patterns in our struggle. There are certain things that kick up our desire and our craving, and there's other things that, that cause more aversion. And you begin to see, oh, look, the struggle that I have is there's a pattern to it. And I really, I, I see it, I understand it, I know it. So then the second piece is that craving is the cause of the struggle. Now this is not saying that craving is causing the pain, and it's not saying that all desire, desire is another word that's often used here, and it's not saying that all desire is wrong. So I invite all of us to kind of let go of that. Craving, I often think of craving as like that, that place where we grab on and where we have to have something either be a particular way or not be a particular way. So you, it's a little Velcro-ish in my own mind often. It's that place where it just, you know how those Velcro things, they just hook in and all of a sudden they stick and you hardly have to do anything. And so it's that place where we're addicted, where we're possessive. Those are some words that are sometimes helpful. And we really want it to be different from the way that it is. I did not want this afternoon to be the way that it was. I didn't. And I'm, you know, several times I thought, oh, I'm giving this talk tonight. I don't want this afternoon to be the way that it is. Growl. And then I would hear Ajahn Sumedho going, 
this is the way that it is and relax a little and like that so so it's a it's a very important place to begin to see this place of craving is what's causing the struggle craving is that place where where things are not okay the way that they are so a couple of things to say it's very interesting to see the way this craving you know, interacts with the experience, right? The, it may interact with the pain itself. Sometimes that way in which the body can get rigid around not wanting physical pain actually increases the pain. So, so there's a whole mind-body thing that can get going. There's certainly, we all know, um, the places where sometimes our wanting someone or something, a relationship, say, to be in a particular way, and we so want it to be in a particular way that, in fact, we destroy it sometimes, you know. And so the, 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 the wanting actually begins to change the experience that, that we're having. And um, <clears throat> so this, this wanting for things to be different sometimes is wanting... Sometimes its flavor is wanting it not to be. There are actually three major areas of wanting. One is wanting um, your sense experience to be different. So it has to do with what are sometimes known as sense desires. But I want to be careful with that one because it can begin to sound pretty monastic and kind of negative. But it's that place where you really want something that has to do with the senses. Um, food is a very easy one, or, or drugs or alcohol are, are places that many of us are familiar with. Um, the second area of wanting is wanting to become something, wanting to things to be, to move in a particular um, direction. And the third is wanting things to um, end, to stop. So those are the, the, usually the wanting comes in one of those three flavors. And so to, to really begin to watch that place where the wanting creates the suffering and, and to, it, it's actually to meet it with great compassion because it's not like you can just stop always, you know. It's not because I was giving the talk this afternoon that I could just cruise through all that difficulty, I wish. You know, it was sort of fun to to sort of think, okay, this is the lab experiment, you know, can I, how can I work with this? And so to really, to really begin to um, accept that that's true for every one of us, that our craving, our attachment, our clinging creates an enormous amount of suffering. It's not even a, it's not even a particularly pejorative statement. We often hear it that way, like this, it's judgmental, you're bad, bad, you know, you're you're attached and therefore you are suffering. It's really saying, look, when you get attached, huh, there's suffering every time. Every time. And then, you know, to really begin as we see that, to know that we know, because it's the knowing that we knowing, that the knowing that we know that often then allows us to begin to let go. So the third, the really wonderful truth, 
is the third, which is that there can be an ending of suffering. And often I think it's really important to just begin to see the, the little places where that begins to be true. You know, where you can maybe let go just a little bit of having to have something. You fill in that blank. And, and all of a sudden it's okay. And sometimes we see that on the cushion. You know, you're sitting there and there's a truck across the street. It's got its backup beeper going. And all kinds of, you know, there's, there's the painful experience, then there's the wanting it to end. Oh my God, why did they build a center across the street from a metalworks? Big trucks, lots of noise, and there's all this struggle that goes on, and the beeping keeps going, and, and after a while, maybe some instruction comes through from some teaching that you heard one day that says, well, let's see if I can let it be what it is. And you start going, oh, hearing, hearing, and then maybe you get a little interested in what that backup beep, how it reverberates on the eardrum, and you're kind of interested, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not suffering. And then maybe you get angry again with it, and it, it circles around one more time, but you get these little glimpses of, oh, look at that. I'm not attached, and I'm not suffering. It's very, very important to say here that this does not mean that we don't ever work for change. It just means that in this very moment, the having to have things be different from the way they are is what creates suffering, and it can end. And any of you who have been involved in social change know that place where sometimes the anger around the way things are actually gets in the way of working toward that change. And there's a very important place where we can allow ourselves to really feel the pain of a very difficult situation and to take it in because that's where it is in this moment. And then out of really deeply feeling that pain and not struggling with it, then the movement can come to move towards something that is healing and helpful. So this particular one, this truth about cessation, it's sometimes called the cessation of suffering, is very important and it's um, really useful to begin to notice it and to even wonder about it. So when something happens, and I was playing with it a little this afternoon, I was like, oh, okay, so can I let it be the way it is? You know, maybe I'll teach tonight, maybe I won't. And is that okay? And, and just seeing that there was a place that I could almost step into, it's almost like a geography, that was a place that was not about attachment, that was not about having to have. And so you can step into that place and sort of try it on. Oh, look, that works. And then maybe the, the craving arises again, and there, there you are. And then you find that place again. So there is, there is in every moment in our existence, in every moment, there is that place where we do not have to suffer. It's possible. We just have to find it. It's not always so easy, but it is there. And in every situation, that's really the question. Where is the ending of suffering 
in this particular situation? And can I stand there and can I make choices from that place so that the suffering um, does not have to continue? And so again, like the others, this is to be made real. It's to be realized, the ending of suffering, um, is how it's said in the text. And that really means exactly what it says, that to realize it is to make it real, to, to, for each one of us to find in our lives these places. And then, you know, in the end, if you are completely and utterly awakened, there is no more suffering. But for most of us, it's trying to get those moments to come closer and closer together so that there are more moments in which we don't suffer. And then to deeply begin to understand that you know that that is true. You know that you know. You trust it. I think this knowing that we know has an element of trust in it that we really can relax into our knowing. And then in the last part, the fourth of the Noble Truths, the Buddha says, and... The way to finding this is to work with the, this noble eightfold path, and so um, there's there's a piece that's about living your everyday life, living, being careful with your speech and your actions and your choice of livelihood, and that by finding a way to speak that and to behave that is wise and compassionate that will actually help you to not create situations where there's a lot of suffering. And there's a whole piece that's about training the mind. So wise effort and wise mindfulness and wise concentration. So we come and we sit. And sitting is, is in many ways, it's the place to practice. We talk about practice. So you're practicing, can I be with things just the way that they are. And it's a little easier when we sit, sometimes. Um, And so, you know, you're not in the middle of your life and there's not people and telephones and all of those things. You're just sitting and, and can you be with the body and the experiences of the body and the mind and the heart just as it is, without struggle. And then noticing when the struggle comes and when it doesn't and seeing if you can let go of having to have things be different from the way that they are and coming back just to this present moment. So it's a wonderful way to train the mind to be able to work with these these truths. And then um, there's a component that's sometimes given at the beginning of the list and sometimes at the end, and I like to think of it actually as being both, which is a wise view of... Of, of beginning to have some sense of these teachings, to trust them and to try them, and wise intention. So setting your course to do this practice. In Philip's book, he gives three practices that are particularly useful in um, working with these noble truths. He says there are three practices of renunciation. He says, renounce your attachment to being right. Big renunciation. 
Um, he says, no longer measure the success of your life by how many of your wants are met. We so measure our success that way. And the last one, he says, give up being the star of your own movie. So that's a somewhat humorous way of looking at these teachings. But, you know, they are wonderful teachings and they are the thread. I heard the Dalai Lama once say, these are the teachings, these teachings about the Four Noble Truths, that um, if you follow these teachings or understand them, um, then that's what makes you a Buddhist. And they are in all the schools of Buddhist practice. You will find them everywhere. And I think they really are a lifetime worth worth of practice because in this human life, over and over, we find ourselves struggling and suffering and over and over, we need to find that place of freedom and letting go and ending of suffering. And I don't know. I don't know very many people, I don't know any people who are fully enlightened So I think we all get to do it while we're here. And it won't stop until we're not. So with that, I think I will stop and see if you have questions or comments about your own experience or your own work with these teachings. Or have you all figured them out? (laughs) Please, Heidi. Well, for me, often the key is just recognizing and putting the term suffering on what I'm feeling. Sometimes that's so useful to just say, oh, I'm suffering. And then once I recognize that this is suffering, then to take responsibility for causing my own suffering by asking, well, what am I clinging to or pushing away in this moment that's making me suffer? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, then I have the choice. Mm -hmm. But often it's just, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm just really bummed or I'm pissed off, I'm suffering. It can be very useful. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) I think the catch for me sometimes is I see it, I acknowledge I'm suffering, I see that I'm causing it, I get a little bit noble about it for about 30 seconds and then I do it all over yeah. again. <laughs> it can be a quick cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sense? Yeah? Please, Leela. Um, one of the first things that I heard about the Four Noble Truths was the, the, the story of the two arrows or the two darts. Uh huh. And that has been always, that comes to mind quite a bit when I'm trying to discern pain and suffering. And so that's been my kind of mnemonic almost. Right. It's like, is this pain or is this suffering? And then. So what Julia is referring to is that um, there's a wonderful story about the two arrows where the pain is the first arrow, you know, something comes along, right? And, And then what often happens is we don't like it and the suffering is you stick the second arrow in next to the first one and then you've got two arrows instead of one. You have not just your aching back or your broken heart but your annoyance and upset and struggle around it. And so, of course, why? (laughs) Except that we do. Except that we do. Yeah. 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 
Just yeah. somehow for, for me having that, uh-huh. that metaphor has always It's very helpful. helpful. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that you brought that. Leela, you had something. Um, <clears throat> earlier when you were talking about this is what my broken heart feels like, this is what... And I've also heard it framed, this is what a broken heart feels like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so sometimes for me, like, like letting go of my... Me. Not all broken hearts may feel like this, but... but this is like right. you know to, that that's a way at least to like not be the star of that movie. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, and and that's true. And and actually, I mean the other two areas of insight. There's the, all the there are three main areas of insight in Buddhist practice. One is the nature of suffering of dukkha. One is impermanence. And one is the nature of self. And they, they support each other a lot. So the more you understand impermanence and how things rise and pass, if you really deeply understand that, sometimes there's less attachment, right? You're willing for things to end, to come to an end. You understand that's the nature of our being. Or you have some understanding, oh, I don't have to make me the center of the universe. I don't have to be the star of my movie. It's not my suffering, it's the suffering. And that also can be hugely helpful in working with us. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Please, Mike. Can you talk a little bit about um, karma, perhaps? Um, it seems so difficult to <laughs> escape that karma. In fact, it, all, it, it is. seems like it's there. You can't. Um, of course you can't. But, it's, but it seems like it's there to... Causes suffering. You know? I mean, it, 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 I mean, there is karma that is um, difficult karma, and um, and so it's easy to kind of get in this trap of, oh, well, if I hadn't done that, I would be well, suffering today. That you know? makes and that makes karma a little simple. The, the Buddha no, says that, the Buddha says that karma is unthinkable. You cannot figure out all of the karmic reverberations that come to a, any particular nodal point of time and space. So exactly why you are doing whatever you're doing, whatever piece of struggle you're involved in, is a very, very complicated question that is you and your past actions and quite likely your culture and quite likely the other people and it all gets very, very, very complicated. What's important to remember about karma is that karma is about action. And what you can do is to be careful of your actions, inner and outer, so that you do not create further difficult karma. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah. But it's all conditioned. Mike? Do you, are you talking about <laughs> complications? Do you think that we sometimes tend to com- complicate Buddhist teachings? Because on, on some levels they seem so simple and so graspable, and, and on other levels, I, I just wonder sometimes, am I, am I missing something here? <laughs> you know. um, well, and, and, and by, by, by understanding them doesn't necessarily mean that I expect to be able to you know, achieve an intent or, you know. In my early years of retreat practice, I 
kept waiting for the special secret advanced teachings. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I even went, in those days, sometimes they would have gatherings for the more senior students at retreats, and I would sneak in thinking maybe I would hear some of the special secret advanced teachings. And I came to realize there was no such thing. And what I think is true is that in one way of speaking it, I mean, you take the teachings about the Four Noble Truths and karma and maybe the three major areas of insight, and that's a huge piece of the Buddhist teaching, all right there. Everything else is trying to figure that stuff out. And so then you have volumes and volumes and volumes of Buddhist literature, even before the boom of the late 20th and early 21st centuries. So um, I think what's true is that they are very, very simple and very, very profound. So they, you know, the subtlety of them and exactly how they work in the mind and the heart, that's where it gets complicated. Somebody else had it. You had a hand up in the back, yes, please, and then we'll stop. Thank you. Um, I really, really appreciated um, what you had to share tonight, and I think it was kind of ironic that it came out so eloquently in the face of you not being able to have the time to do everything that you needed to do. So, um, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, this whole concept of craving and its, it's relationship to suffering is something that's really um, is really on the front burner for me right now. Um, working through that and. One thing that I think is interesting between the relationship of craving and getting to renunciation and giving it up is this truth that we have a we have a choice. We have a choice to do that. And I think for me, at least, sometimes I, I, I just in all of my chaos, I forget that I have a choice to do this. It's like I don't have to deserve to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to earn the right. It's like it's it's right there, it's available to me, and that um, really helps me um, to, um, to go forward. I think that's true, and I would only add one thing, which is I think your choice is to create an intention. And that sometimes the kind of karmic reverberation that Martin was talking about, you know, you may have a real intention, I'm going to do this relationship differently. And then you see yourself doing it all over again one more time, right? And, and I think that's the place where we need to have great compassion, but also to understand that creating that intention is a hugely important first step. And then you do it again and again, and after a while, in fact, my own experiences and what I see in other people is if it does, in fact, begin to change. And so the choice, it, you know, you may not, you don't just go from here to there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, let's see. There's a few announcements, not too many. Um, our retreat is starting next Wednesday. I believe there is one male bed left. So if you are the appropriate biological sort and would like to sit on the retreat, um, you can take a flyer. There's some over on the table and um, let Martin and Mary Lou. No. If, and I would say for anyone else, if you've suddenly waked up and gone, oh, I would really like to sit that retreat, I would definitely say to call and get your name in because we often have people cancel at the last minute. And so it wouldn't hurt 
to have your name and then we can let you know if a bed opens up. So that's that. This Friday we are having the last of our Buddhist Teachers in Santa Cruz series. So the monks from Tanpulu um, Kaba'ai, which is the Burmese monastery up in Boulder Creek, will be here at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Bob Stahl will be moderating the evening. They are bringing a translator with them. And I think it should be quite wonderful and interesting. And I hope that some of you will come and hear them teach. And as I said earlier, they, they, I understand they're going to do a chant to bring the Buddhas to life. So, you know, you wouldn't want to miss that. Um, and then the only other thing I think that really needs mentioning, and then there are lots of flyers on the table, is that on Thursday, June 11th, so a ways out, we will be having our Vesak celebration, which is a little late this year, but nonetheless. Um, and that's celebrating the birth, enlightenment, and death of the Buddha. We'll start with a potluck, and then we'll have our sitting and some ritual. Um, we're inviting people to bring your Buddhas to put on the altar. We usually have quite a community of Buddhas. And this year, partly because we already have one, we're going to have a Buddha adoption table. So if you have an extra Buddha that you don't particularly want anymore, I, I have a lot of them, so people you know, keep giving them to me, and so I think I'm ready to pass a few on. We thought that we would put out Buddhas that are looking for homes on the adoption <laughs> table. And then maybe if you're looking for a Buddha, you can take one home. So uh, just know that that's true. And then the last thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is that at this Vesak celebration, we're also going to honor Carla Brennan, who is leaving Vipassana Santa Cruz, at least for a while. And um, so if you have appreciated her teachings and would like to bring a card with thanks on it for her, uh, you can do that. And then we will also, all of the teacher Donna will be going to her that evening. So if you want to honor her in that way, you can also do that. Um, so that will be happening. Um, and then the last request is um, from the potluck coordinator, which is we'd like to have all the food for the potluck be food that can be eaten on a plate. That will help with the cleanup a lot. So um, if you would... Pay attention to that. That would be great. I think that's all I need to say. Are there any other announcements? To no, I was just going to say no the, soup. No, no soup. soup. <laughs> <laughs> the plate <laughs> announcement. Okay. Anything else? So we'll end with a little loving kindness practice. There's um, two particular requests for metta that I have, and it may be that some of you will have some. Many of you know John Travis who is a wonderful teacher at Spirit Rock. He comes here usually once a year when he and I are teaching together in Boulder Creek. Um, he's been recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. The prognosis is good, um, but it is stage two cancer. So um, he could use all, yeah, all the meta. <laughs> John is my Dharma sibling. He and I did our training together, so this is like my brother. Um, he, and he's, he's doing well, I think. I've talked with him a number of times, and um, he's kind of putting one foot in front of the other, and he's quite optimistic. But please, ex hold him in your hearts with metta. And the other person is Dana Ingersoll, who often sits here on Thursday, and she's getting married on Saturday. So we kind of have both ends of the suffering and joy 
spectrum here. And are there any other requests? Okay, so let's uh, take a breath, bring yourself into your own body, into your heart and mind, and in some simple way extend some goodwill and some friendliness into your own being. It can be with a phrase of kindness or an image, or just breathing friendliness, compassion throughout your body. Let yourself be aware of the other people seated in the room around you. Please include the people who needed to leave early. And extend your goodwill and friendliness around the room to each person here. And then let our attention and awareness move on out Perhaps first to our good friend John, holding him in our hearts with great gratitude for his teaching and his being, wishing him well and healing. And then to Dana and Mark, who will be married on Saturday, and extending our goodwill and joy to them. And then bringing to mind anyone else whom you know and love, to whom you want to extend goodwill and friendliness to hold them in your heart for a bit. And then letting our awareness and our hearts reach on out to all people and to all of the beings who share this world with us and then letting it extend even further out into the universe, into every corner of the universe, into every kind of being, wishing each being happiness and peace and ease. And then last of all, we gather up all of the blessing of our time together this evening, all of the merit of it, and we offer this merit for the benefit of all of these beings that all beings may be happy, that all beings may be peaceful, and that all beings everywhere may come to a complete ending of suffering. So thank you very much for your presence and your practice. Even though the retreat is happening next week, one of the retreat teachers will be here on Thursday evening. I'm not sure which one at this point. One of us will be here to lead the sitting. So um, please come and enjoy it. Might even be me. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. I'm going away in Nancy Chen next week for vacation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.